0: Welcome to the world this week, France 24, inviting four editorial minds to come and chew over events of the past seven days around the world. They are Agnes Poirot, correspondent of the Express in London. Not Great to Poirot, see
1: you. I'm not cliche. Poirier, excuse <laughs> me.
0: <laughs> I don't believe I said that. Agnes, Poirier. All, yeah. Agnes Poirier. Agnes <laughs> Poirier. Petrie is a Poirier, yes? Yeah. That's it, good. Agnes Poirier is a correspondent <laughs> for the Express in London. Thank <laughs> you. Please please forgive me. On the other side of the studio, and I shall get my words correct, Richard Verley, who is correspondent for France and Europe for the information website, Blick. That's correct. Good to see you, sir. On the other side of the studio, Craig Capetus, contributing editor of The Daily Beast. Great to see you, sir. And someone who, well, some of you face here in France 24, usually down the line in Kharkiv in northern... Northern Ukraine. But here today, especially for us, Catherine Norris Trent, our senior correspondent. Catherine, thank you for being with us.
2: Thank you for having
3: me.
0: Let's progress with the latest from Ukraine. Vladimir Putin unilaterally declaring a truce on January the 6th through to January the 7th. That's basically marking the uh, Orthodox Christmas uh, in uh, Ukraine and, of course, in Russia. It's day 317 of the war, triggered, of course, by Russia's president's decision to launch that invasion of Ukraine last February. The word on the ground, though, in Ukraine is that the shelling has continued. The Russian occupiers striking the town of Kramatorsk twice. That's in the north of uh, the Donetsk region. Shelling, too, in the disputed Donbass town of Bakhmut. Uh, Russian troops bogged down there, of course, in a very bitter battle for the town. Uh, we hear reports that shellings come from both sides there, to be fair and uh, just about telling this story. So, the Moscow Times reporting that the truce is a fake. And indeed, from the Ukrainian side, the theme is that there can only be a truce when Russia pulls its forces out from occupied and annexed land. That's not just Lugansk and Donetsk and Zaporizhia and Kherson, but also Crimea. Let's listen to Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, speaking a little earlier.
3: Now they want to use Christmas as a cover to at least briefly stop the advance of our guys in Donbass and to bring equipment, ammunition and mobilised men closer to our positions. What will this bring? Just another rise in the death toll.
0: Vladimir Zelensky, let's bring in Catherine Norris-Trent, who has reported extensively for us in Ukraine. Catherine, when you heard Vladimir Putin declaring this unilateral truce, what was your kind of reaction to that?
2: My reaction was that people in Ukraine had been saying to me for months that Russia wanted to freeze fighting where it is, to restock, to rearm, to regroup. Um, and that Ukrainians would be viewing this very cynically and very skeptically as a move, basically, uh, to do that, to try and regroup, to try and move their troops around, to try and get a breather in places like Bakhmut, where the fighting has been incredibly intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, that n- to try and use it as a a stick to beat the Ukrainians. Because U- Ukraine has never accepted this ceasefire, they don't believe it's genuine. So, therefore, lots of people in Ukraine believe that Russia's just going to use this as say, look, Ukraine won't accept the ceasefire. So, you know, it, it's all about the, the communications and the way it's being presented, but I don't think people are under much illusion in Ukraine that this is going to be a real ceasefire. They don't believe anything that Vladimir Putin has to say.
4: Craig? I, I don't think it's uh, uh, cynical on Putin's part because he has attached it to HIP to the patriarch Kirill. Uh, that is important for Putin's ultimate aim of recreating the Russian imperium, the mystical portion of it. Uh, so it, it, it makes sense. He's doing that to appease Putin or to appease Carol, not, not any, anyone in Ukraine, but I, it, it, frankly, there, there's two points here. You know, I don't know if you remember the movie Batman when, uh, when Alfred Batman's trusty Butler, uh, looks at Batman and says, some men, uh, just want to watch the world burn and, this is really where we're getting with Putin right now. And, and the uh, the other side of that coin is is actually rather ugly because the only way you're going to stop Putin's devastation right now is through the banks. And the governments of the world, from the Swiss to the Americans to everyone else, are doing nothing – they've done nothing to, to seize the some trillion dollars of assets that are – either ha- have been frozen or, uh, it's not the legal term, but that, they, that the Russian government and the oligarchs can't get their hands on. Uh, those transactions are still being made. Uh, the principal owners of those accounts are, are still getting interest. Uh, and uh, uh, the governments, Prince- Switzerland, chief among them, they don't want to do anything to, to, to try and uh, disrupt uh, this cash flow. And and I would submit that despite whatever happens on the ground, this thing is not going to end until Putin and his cronies, his criminal cronies, are either, either overthrown or his financial system is completely obliterated. Roman
0: Abradovich, former owner of the Chelsea Football Club, cleared out a lot of his... Uh... Stash, if you like, uh, billions and billions, apparently, before the sale of the club in order to avoid the situation that you're talking about. And yes, sorry.
1: Well, that was easy. Uh, Simply because uh, um, it got, you know, warned by Mm. Boris Johnson, uh, who had made, um, you know, Evgeny Lebedev a uh, lord a few months Mm. earlier. Russian oligarchs in London got how many weeks? Was it three or four weeks? Um, it was like when a big, they knew what big was,
0: alert wasn't it? Big alert, everything.
1: yes, and yeah. we'll remember this. Although you know what you're saying is mean, true, but don't you think? I mean, it's not as if the West has been sitting, not doing anything for a year. I mean, we might want it to have done more, but don't you think? I would it's, beg, it's I would beg to
4: differ. To I would beg happen. to differ differ with you. I've been covering this story very closely last. Uh, March March 3rd, the European Union hired a group of people who wanted to be remain anonymous. We did a stories on this in The Beast to kind of track down some of this money uh, and potentially freeze it, find out where it was. I spoke with these principals about three weeks ago. They haven't gotten anywhere because they're not getting cooperation from the banks and the governments, mm-hmm. from the offshores, whether it's the Caymans, Panama, Bermuda. Uh, the Netherland Antilles. You're right, okay? But in the weirdness that's Russia and the international financial world, you're also wrong because the people who they've sent out to try and track these funds have principally gotten nowhere. And the Ukrainians, as Catherine well knows, have been screaming for this money to to be uh, seized yeah. and turned over to them. And you're, you're talking... Uh, in the neighborhood of a trillion dollars of Russian state assets, that's like from the state banks, and, 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 and private assets. And to get them, you basically ha- you have to go to a court. They're- no one's trying to figure out a workaround. And one of the many problems, one of the many questions, let's say you did try to seize these assets in a court. Can the Russians actually send in an attorney to defend their assets? because they don't have any money to pay a lawyer. So would that mean that the court would have to go to the public defender's office to have a public defender defend Russia in court for the seizure of assets? Those, that's just one of a boxcar load of questions here that the gover- governments and prosecutors don't want to get near. You just try going to an offshore to ask about this, you think they would help. You know, we did a calculation, 38,760 people dead. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no, it's it's not. 34,400 civilian and military Ukrainian deaths since 2014. Talk about blood and treasure. That's 38,760 gallons of blood that's been spilled. So how much warm blood, let's be brutal, like the Russians, how much warm blood do you have to spill... Before you could unfreeze these assets and shut Russia down? It's a legitimate question, and very few people want to ask it. Incredibly murky. Richard, the truth, though it's it's it's
0: it's 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 a front well, it's a it's it's a fiction isn't
3: it well there are two subjects on the table mm-hmm. now on the one hand is Putin's truth and on the other hand is the question mm-hmm. of uh, russian assets as far as Putin truth is concerned uh, to me it proves one thing beyond his link with kirill the patriarch and so on it proves that he needs time he's mm-hmm. the one who needs time yeah. at the moment in this conflict and if he needs time it's because he's in a weaker position mm-hmm. So, so the, otherwise, Billy. I mean, we all know that if he had been on the offensive, if he had been winning this war, he would probably not have declared the truth. Though, though he has very close link with the Orthodox Church in Russia. That's for the truth. For the asset, I must say, I did not talk to the principals. I know that group uh, that the European Union formed with some American experts in. I am very surprised by what you have just said. Uh, I am very surprised. Um, there have been nine packages of sanctions approved. Uh, and in those packages, every time, list of names of oligarchs and people uh, whom, whose assets have been frozen. Now, uh, let's be clear. When you talk about freezing asset. You're not talking about seizing assets. That's a different issue. So indeed, yes, including Switzerland. Switzerland has frozen assets of the oligarch in Swiss Bank. It does not mean that those assets are still not producing money. They are actually still producing interest. They are still working as funds, in a way, to seize assets. Yes, and I think it's legitimate. You need to have a court decision. They're even not- if even if these funds are Russian, even if this is a war, I mean, you need at some point to go to the judicial system. Otherwise, I mean, you cannot seize assets like this. I'm not saying that it would be a bad idea. It might be a good idea to seize those assets and hand them over to the Ukrainian government. But you just can't do it like this. Uh, that's that's those, not possible. That's not to be a legal process. That's obviously. not what the international order is based on. And. The thing about this conflict is we are the West defending the international and order. And there
1: are many battlefields. I mean, that's That's one right. Of them, that's right? the most right? important. But uh, again, I mean, that, that will take time. Uh, but on the ground, I mean, what, what is key this year in 2023 is that the West continue to give wep- weapons. And the US has been, and Joe Biden has been incredibly good at that. Um, we could do more. Obviously, and uh, and that's that's the
2: ground. Um, I think I was going to say just this week, France announced that it's giving an unnamed quantity of, well, some people would call them light tanks, others call them armoured fighting vehicles or re- reconnaissance vehicles. These AMX tens. Um, this is significant because not only is it um, in terms of France kind of stepping up its weapons delivery, it's been. It's been criticized for not doing enough but also the issue of tanks and how far do you go before you provoke an escalation um western capital's been very fearful of this especially germany ukraine has been calling for all kinds of things for planes for tanks for it got the patriot um air defense system when zelensky went to washington and now this is the first time that there are really these kind of sort of tanks then they haven't got tracks they've got light armor um but they can't <coughs> they have got a, a a 105 millimeter cannon on top which can fire at other tanks they're going to be very useful for Ukraine we don't know how many are going but it's interesting because it could open the, the door to other western countries sending modern tanks they've got Soviet era tanks but they need more modern equipment they say to, to, to get through the impasse mm-hmm. that the, the fighting yeah. is at right now
3: it is significant for two reasons First reason is because this type of vehicle is exactly what the Ukrainian army needs when the end of the winter comes, Mm -hmm. when it will become very muddy. They are easy. I mean, the mobility of these tanks is much better than the traditional tanks. Secondly, it is a way for France to pressure Germany, Mm -hmm. because at the moment, the big problem is Germany refusing to give give that type of material. So I think Germany will come soon with announcement. I mean, that's my vision. This is
4: the whole thing. Look, uh, look you're showing these wonderful photos of of, of armor rolling provided
3: acro- by the french army
4: ro- rolling across rolling across the fields but let's go to the more important battlefront which is the financial battlefront okay we keep we hear this word frozen these assets are not legally frozen the term is hindered 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 assets frozen assets is a is another level The only assets that are frozen right now is a portion of the oligarchs' assets. You can use the word immobilize these assets, but they're just sitting there and gaining interest. And for every tank that goes out, if the Germans ever get off their, their heinies and send the leopard tanks, for every tank that goes out, there's money here. That the Russians are making and getting back channeled in through Turkey and other countries to buy armaments to keep blowing the bloody hell out of the Ukrainians. So so we get all wrapped up in this armament. Look at these guns. Look at this guy looking through his scope. The battlefield is in the banks. And this war, unless Putin and his cronies are overthrown, is not going to end until the West takes control of the banking system.
1: But there's another war. There's the energy war. I mean, when you think... I I don't think finances is all. I think it's one part of the jigsaw. I mean, it's a very important part, and you're making the point very uh, eloquently. Um, But look at a country like Germany, in just a year, it's becoming independent mm-hmm. in terms of energy. Incredible And mm-hmm. Merkel said for 16 years that it was impossible. Okay? So things are happening. <laughs> but not worry. Yeah. And uh, uh, Ukraine will win the war. I think... I mean, it's, it's interesting because you think it's going to last forever. I mean, it's likely. And we're talking about trenches and, you know, a very, very difficult war. On the other hand... We all know that Ukraine will win the war. Um, so it's, it's, uh, so we need to do everything we can well, to help Well, then the them. question
4: is for Catherine, who's the only one who has actually been in the field. How many more gallons of blood are the Ukrainians willing to use beyond the nearly 40,000 that the Russians have already sucked from them?
2: Do you know what? That's an incredibly hard question. But the determination of Ukrainian people, military and civilians, is absolutely incredible and has been right since day one of this war when people were going, you know, it's going to take three days, it's all going to be over quickly, what are you going to do? And they were like, no, 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 we're going to fight. And, you know, it's an existential fight and it's actually galvanised a lot more people. So, uh, and the whole of what we've seen this winter with Russia... Striking energy facilities and trying to freeze the Ukrainians out and trying to break the morale—that hasn't worked either. That has galvanized people. People are suffering; it's very, very hard. Some people are leaving their homes again. It's really difficult, but I don't—it is not succeeding for the moment in gal, in breaking the Ukrainians' morale. That's just the fact that it, they're looking to try and get mm-hmm. through this winter. They hope it can be finished this year. Really, not sure it can be. Um, and so this is why the Ukrainians are calling for a massive inflow of cash to try and ramp up the battle so much that it will lead to some kind of conclusion.
0: Catherine, thank you. Let's move on to our second topic today. In politics, nothing is a sure thing. Ask Kevin McCarthy. He was a certain, firm favourite to be voted in as Speaker of the House of Representatives, but a far-right caucus of 20 has stymied that plan, not once, not twice, but 11 times so far. We're currently in day four of this selection process. (laughs) Unprecedented in modern times. In the meantime, Congress is unable to work. President Biden calls it all an embarrassment and not a good look for the Republicans.
4: With regard to the fight over the speaker, excuse me, I, uh, that's not my problem. I just think it's a little embarrassing it's taking so long in the way they're doing with one another. And the rest of the world's looking. They're you know, looking at, you know, can we get our act together?
0: Craig Capetus, can I give you first bite at this one?
4: <laughs> if you were like clowns... Don't be surprised when you end up with a circus. Next question. (laughs) We get the politicians we deserve. Is that the the upsum? Yeah, in a democracy, you deserve what you get, and you get what you deserve, and you can parse what's going on in Washington until the cows come home. It's the ultimate tar baby problem, you know. It's, It's aggravated by any attempt to solve it, and it's going to continue, and we can sit here and go into the minutia of it. But it's a clown show. This is what you get when you elect these people. And by the way... I know it's on the agenda. We can say the same thing for your country, Great Britain. It's the same thing. It's in a democracy. It's the voters, and if the voters don't pay attention and elect these chuckleheads, what the hell do you expect?
0: Indeed, save the British thing. Save the British thing for a moment. We got. Let's get through the American thing. And yes, do you have any thoughts? I'm sure you have many.
1: Well, that's the thing. If you if you have uh, anti government. Members in the House. Well, they don't want to be governed. Mm -hmm. So that's what they do. Um, What is fascinating is, you know, if you look back at the 20th century and until, you know, quite recently, the Republican Party whether you like it or not, was the party of government. That was the party that fell in line uh, whenever um, necessary. It was also party of discipline. And the Democrats were the, you know, ideologues or the dreamers, um, quite unruly, uh, difficult to, to govern internally. And then suddenly there's this shift because, you know, they've been courting the Tea Party faction that should have remained a faction, um, what, 10 years ago. I mean, that's preceded uh, Trump, and that, uh, uh, obviously, Trump is a result of that. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know whether we're going to have, what, 133 rounds of votes, like in 1856, it took two months. We
4: can only hope. Uh,
1: <laughs> and um, We'll still be discussing but, it. But it's interesting, because if it goes on like this, mm. then... You know, it sounds pretty good for the Democrats at the next elections, and that will come pretty soon. Uh, So there's this shift. okay? Democrats are now, um, you know, obeying orders and and falling in line when necessary, and uh, uh, the byword for competence, uh, and the Republican Party has become completely uh, dysfunctional. I mean, you know, from
0: across the pond, it's quite interesting to see. One wonders what this means for the future of the Republican Party.
3: Well, true. That's what I'm, I was going to say. I mean, uh, now we know with what is happening in the uh, U.S. House of Representatives that Biden actually won the midterms, though he lost control of the House of Representatives. But when you see what's happening, when you see how the Republican Party is behaving, when you see the division that they are stuck uh, uh, you, can, you can really believe that Biden uh, has an advantage and he has now a clear advantage. And the way he talks about it, you know, being kind of very distant, polite, saying, well, it's not my turf, but we, the world is watching, you should be careful. I mean, frankly speaking, Trump is now in a damaging spiral spiral mm-hmm. for his own party. And the difficulty is that those who believe that he would bring them back to power may soon realize that he's bringing them down. So all uh, I would agree with with Agnès, the Democrats are clearly the profiteering from that very sad situation. I might say but Probably it was a situation to expect. Indeed.
0: Catherine, it's one of these things that you couldn't make up because this is happening on the anniversary of the, the Capitol riot as well. You know, I know,
2: it's, it's like it's made for years. I mean, if we sat down it? and wrote
0: this as a soap opera, no, that would not happened. A
2: couple of decades ago, we wouldn't have been able to believe that this mm. was happening at all. And yeah, the Democrats making hay with this. Chuck Schumer, the uh, Democratic Senator, Senate Majority Leader, saying that, you know, making the direct comparison, saying, look, this pandemonium is linked to the the maga radicalism and making it impossible to govern it's been a long time brewing this this kind of conspiracy theories denial of authority denial of government and it's it's still the same kind of but this is the kind
0: of, of people we're talking about the, the sort of the 20 holdouts as they're called It's there more than some 20, pretty are some pretty extreme, extreme people more are than they?
4: 20 the den- election deniers are are three four maybe five dozen there j- many of them are voting for mccarthy Wow. You know, so so it's not just the these these twenty you know Beavis and Butthead guys we have here. <laughs> there's there's down a whole other crowd. <laughs> the <laughs> next two years is going to be nightmarish. And they call themselves the Freedom Caucus. That's one of their groups. Kind of ironic, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Another another group of them uh, call, call themselves the Liverpool Football Supporters Club. Don't go there, Craig. Why on earth would they do that? I wonder. It <laughs> has something to do with hubcaps. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And, yes, bring us back to the topic.
4: (laughs) You mean to
1: Liverpool. That's the next topic.
0: I'm trying to give you a
4: segue to the Brexit. Oh, I'm
0: loving it. Let's get straight to the UK, because that's clearly where we're going right now. Uh, The situation, then, in the UK. Let's go to the UK, because we were scheduled to go to China. But, no, go to the UK. Uh, In the grip of strikes across multiple sectors... Um, I'm thinking of train strikes. I was fortunate at Christmas, I was able to cross the country with no problems on a train when I went home to see family. Uh, But uh, notably, those strikes beginning pre-Christmas are continuing, but many other sectors are down in tools as well over the cost of living crisis. And this all comes more or less two years to the day since Brexit was done. and how that's been done, eh? Promises to bring back control have proven to be hollow, to say the least. The NHS in particular, the health service in Britain, overwhelmed by staff shortages... Uh, and, of course, the pandemic. Uh, some also point to uh, sort of privatisation by the backdoor policy of the Conservative government regarding healthcare, which is another issue we could discuss as well. But think about what Brexit meant, all these kind of things. You see Boris Johnson there in front of the big bus saying £350 million, uh, per week goes to the EU. We'll take it and give it to the NHS. Did that actually happen? The bulldozer there getting Brexit done with his oven-ready deal. It all looks really burnt now, doesn't it, the whole thing? Think about Britain today. The OECD, just based up the street from us here in Paris, says that all of all of the G20 countries, only Russia, only Russia is set to perform worse than the UK this year. An average UK household will be worse off, they say, Mm -hmm. than an average family in Slovenia. Nothing against Slovenia, but the idea that Slovenia and the UK... I don't know. Basically, you're going to be worse off if you live in Britain than you would be if you're in Slovenia. And yes.
1: <laughs> Where do we start?
0: <laughs> What's your experience of London, so, yes?
1: So the strikes. I mean, let me give you just an example. Now, when you switch on your television mm. and watch Sky News or the BBC, you have a little, you know, banner telling you What you can expect on the day, and that you know, you've got weather forecasts. Now you've got strikes forecasts. Strike forecasts. So uh, you, you know, and I do screen grab to just remind remind myself. Okay, so tomorrow, uh, if you're a student, okay, uh, will my teacher um, uh, be there? Uh, Will I be able to hop on a train? Will I, if I break my leg, what happens? Oh no, no ambulance and no nurses and and of course there's a minimum. Uh, service um, in in the UK, but even the even Rishi Sunak's government wants to pass a bill uh, to an anti-strike bill, basically, mm-hmm. and to make that minimum uh, level of public service uh, be enhanced. And therefore, I mean, unions being almost in incapable of, of calling for a strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Keir Starmer said that if ever that bill was going to be passed, it would repeal it uh, once elected in only 18 months' time. Because, I mean, we have a, a Tory government that is in power, that is more, slightly more calm and more rigorous and more you know, serious than the ones before. That's easy. Um, but really, this is all news, <laughs> so Keir Starmer is really the guy that mm. you know the whole public opinion is is watching and listening to, and um, all the polls show him to be ahead. Um, you know, by I mean Labour is ahead by twenty points. Um, so it looks almost assured mm. that they will be in, uh, elected next year, but. Labour is actually not backing the strikes, if we're still talking about the strikes. Um, it's been, you know, in July, it even sacked one of its uh, uh, transport minister in the shadow cabinet for having been to, in front of uh, Houston um, uh, station in support, he showing still, solidarity. He's still with the picket line showing so solidarity. Because because he wants, it, yeah. Yes, he says, if you're in government, uh, you don't go to the picket line, you try and resolve the issue. And so they are they are acting... As a government in waiting, but to the point of almost blurring the image of the Labour Party. So that's very interesting because the next year is going to be about Labour and Skia Starmer trying to um, move the party completely, you know, away from... Corbyn is, Corbynism, but also towards sort of social democracy to Blairism, yeah. you know, 2.0. Um, and if they is, manage to do this,
2: they will win. Sorry, The only problem is that Keir Starmer is not Tony Blair in terms of charisma, yeah. in terms of presentation, and 18 months is a long time until the next general election. He's, he's I, getting much better, though. He's getting better, but it's... Um, <laughs> well, he's still a bit creaky, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> I, I feel that sh- Labour can still <laughs> mess up <laughs> But is he a bottle of, of
3: wine? And you still <laughs> have a big elephant in the room, and that is Brexit. Absolutely. So, how do you address the Brexit issue? How do you uh, uh, address the question of reconciling the UK with the EU? That means Uh, Bringing a a new kind of agreement with the EU. How you dare to do that? And to me, I mean, I'm not an expert in UK politics, but Labour at the moment is still paralysed Mm -hmm. over Brexit issue, and that is a problem Uh because the only way to get the British economy back on its feet is to re-anchor the country. To the European Union one way or another. Except So, No, no, no. I, 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 one line. Starm said that he won't take the UK back yep. to the EU.
1: No, he can't. He can't say that I, I for the moment. I was saying mm. re
3: encurring the UK to the EU. I was not well, saying re
1: No, of course. But he can't even talk ah, about Brexit during the campaign. They're I mean, because we're effectively in you campaign.
3: Should, mm. You should...
4: Cool. You know, I, I I I think we sh- You know, you should be very proud of your homeland. You know, the UK. You know, <laughs> used to be run by men and women. Uh, I'm from Liverpool. I'm very proud of You know, and you know that mistake has now been rectified. The Conservatives have done a really good job. It reminds me of, of, of an old line that was said in the British Parliament, I think last century, early last century. Uh, someone asked, "Why does the sun never set on the British Empire?" And some wagon in the back screamed out, because no one would trust an Englishman after dark. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the situation that we're in here. And it's good for the economy, by the way, because one of uh, uh, Great Britain's greatest exports is comedy. Uh. And boy, the comedy is just terrific. Uh, I mean, just wonderful. We've got uh, a lot of material, haven't we? Oh, there uh, Jonathan Pye, uh, you know, there yeah. I mean, there's just great British comedians right now, yeah. as you folks say, taking the piss out <laughs> of uh out, out of this government, Richie Sunak. I'm, I'm trying to work caught. out if
0: you'd be offended by that <laughs> phrase. I <laughs> should yeah. apologize for Craig's language, but
4: we, we get it. Yeah, yeah, you get I mean that that yeah. is the I've heard yeah. that. There's a lot Expression on British on the BBC by the way. Oh, well, it's okay then. <laughs> yeah.
2: I just wanted to come in and say, you know, you were talking about comparing the UK's wealth to Slovenian wealth. It does really feel like people are getting a lot poorer, and that is mm. really hitting home. Like family and friends in the UK, people mm. I know, their their living standards have gone down an awful lot. People are professionals going to food banks. Mm. My cousin is a doctor in an A&E department, in an emergency department in the north of England, and the things she tells me about her shift are just oh dear, unbelievable. And it's getting harder and harder, and there are no staff, so she's constantly called up. Can you do another 12-hour shift? Can you do another one? Because there's no one... There there. it's that, lot is of that a Brexit sure. thing, Catherine? It's linked to Brexit. Yeah. It's not only Brexit. It's not only Brexit. It, well, know, will they rejoin?
0: What's, the, what's your cake, Mark? Uh, I mean, stama says that he won't take
2: you back Starmer in.
4: Forget what Starmer says. What, so, adults, what is our gut? Eventually,
2: but not for a long, it long, long time. it's politically. Yeah, of, yeah, it will take a long yeah. time. Yeah. And under what conditions? Because by the way, in the UK, there is this debate going on, not among the political parties, but among people, journalists and people talking about rejoining. 65% of the British public would now be in favour of rejoining. They were against Brexit. But the EU doesn't. Particularly want the UK okay. back, and but the conditions would not be the same. Let so. me put a question to you, Richard. Which will,
0: which will happen first, Britain getting back into the EU or Prince Harry getting back into the royal family?
3: <laughs> oh, God, I thought we could I thought you were going to ask, will the UK get back to the EU before Switzerland will enter the EU? I was not ready to one. talk about That's Prince Harry. You mentioned <laughs> Harry before, so regarding so Switzerland, it. I think Switzerland will never be in the EU. Okay. Uh, How about Prince probably Harry? Probably the UK will, will be difficult and it will take time to go back. Now, concerning Prince Harry, well, there is a thing a called, I would say, a feeling, fatherhood feeling, and I guess King Charles will probably forgive his second son for writing what he has written, I guess. You guess. But maybe I'm not familiar enough with the British monarchy. Mm. And yes?
1: Well, I think there will be more episodes. I mean, there have been quite a lot of episodes uh, of that saga because Mm. it's a saga and it's also, I mean, ironically, uh, it is cruel, but look at this young couple, Mm. uh, fairly young couple. They, I mean, of course, living within the institution of the royal monarchy and the royal family must be hell, but they left that hell, so they must be happy. But um, for the last two years and a half living in California and and telling the whole world, you know, life is fantastic, they feed on
0: resentment... They, they so want, why? They want, they want because a it's a life. business. They want a normal life, well, but they, they go on TV, they write a book, they do Oprah Winfrey. But well, they've got a
1: four-four book contract, <laughs> OK? Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, this is the first one. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. We've got another three. It's so nuts,
1: probably there are more revelations and uh, more, you know, uh, more things to come. And w- what is striking is that he says, Prince Harry, that he's hoping to reconcile, but how can you reconcile well, he when
4: you audition so much
2: but what else is there to say? You know,
3: there else, you go, Kathy. Would else you forgive him? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think, probably, if he would stop. I, just, okay. I mean, okay. me personally, okay. I just want the whole thing to stop. Because it's all like,
0: woe is me, but at the same time, as you've just outlined about the member of your family who works in the NHS, there are people who are really struggling. And these exactly. people, they have money, they get, a, you know, they get money from the, the sovereign grant, you know, they, it's, they get money from the families and all sort of the money they got from
4: you know, inheritance and stuff. It's all there but for them. But they're entertainment. The, it's the, an entertainment The British, thing. you know, mm-hmm. Americans have Hollywood. You guys have the royal family and Premier League football. Oh. That I've yeah. heard of that. This is, by the way, does Liverpool play football? <laughs> Liverpool have a team. Okay, <laughs> um, it's entertainment. The, uh, the British Fleet Street, the press—they live. They live off these people. It's it's just great entertainment. It's so reality TV, you know, man. sit back and enjoy this dysfunctional inbred German royal family that somehow. <laughs> Became to control Great Britain, UK, Northern Ireland, you know?
1: Well, there's something called dignity, and there's some slight remnant in the UK. And dignity? Yes, dignity. Yeah. And um, so I think this is also one. You can buy upstate. dignity I'm at just... Fortnum
4: and Mason's, I mean.
1: Well, no, that's another kind of but dignity. W- what I can't
3: measure is, does Harry still enjoy uh, certain sympathy in the UK at the moment? Well... Because M- not before I mean, he had that sympathy. Yeah. yes, he was, he was the most popular royal, wasn't he? Be exactly. When they got married, he's the most yeah. popular royal. Yeah. 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 That's
1: before. <laughs> no, but the thing, I think a popular lot of people royal. feel sorry for him. A lot of people feel sad for him because we're having a, s- a sort of therapy mm-hmm. in public. Mm. And, you know, you should just go on seeing his shrink rather than um having the whole world
2: witness the it. public i don't well, think
4: the public would allow him to do that this is entertainment it's,
2: it's a vicious circle that exactly. into exactly so no they complain they get badly treated by the press they were mm. bingo think, especially yeah. Meghan was mm. terribly treated by the british person the establishment so then they they talk about it and then they get more headlines and then they get bitten into and then it's it i'm not sure we can say that the public as a whole
1: as if there, there was such a thing. Wants this. They buy the newspapers, every, they
4: buy the books, they not, watch the Netflix. Well,
1: not every one of them. It's, it's, just, like,
4: it's like the NFL. Do you? American you're a British
2: citizen? Do
4: you? <laughs> I, I wouldn't watch it. Wouldn't but it's
2: distraction it. from everything that's there going on go. that we've been talking about in the UK as well. Yeah. This is. It's why kind people of watch soap operas, TV? isn't it? And
3: this is a soap yeah. opera. It's a whole thing. Yeah. I bought two British tabloid newspaper today. I admit. Aha! I admit. Evidence. <laughs> right, <so it's laughs> kind of, yeah. Richard, you proved the... And one of can. them, the Daily Mirror, had that headline, it's all over now, with the photo of the two boys when they were at school. Yeah. So, well, probably maybe it it it's all over. Yeah.
0: Let's quickly turn to our final topic, uh, COVID and China, uh, once again, in the same headlines uh, this week. Uh, images of hospitals in Shanghai sending shockwaves across the world, reminding people uh, where the pandemic started, of course, it's actually happening again. There's been a relaxation of the zero-COVID policy, which was incredibly controversial. There was protests against that, of course, uh, late last year. Uh, But now the situation uh, shows that, uh, especially here in France, for instance, travellers coming in from China, they'll be subject to testing or at least checking to see whether they're COVID-positive or not. We've reported tonight about how South Korea is coping with Chinese travellers coming in who are COVID-positive. And the Chinese New Year is approaching, Year of the Rabbit which is auspicious apparently, but of course it also could be a sign of Covid spreading. Let's hear from China's transport minister with the advice from Beijing. We encourage people to make travel plans based on the situation of themselves and family members. In particular, the elderly with underlying diseases and the families with pregnant women, infants and children should try to reduce travel as much as possible to avoid the infectious risk during travel.
3: Okay, the COVID situation. Are you convinced? Well, I believe, first of all, that we talked about uh, Vladimir Putin appearing quite weak at the moment in Russia. And I think Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, is in difficulty because he, he doesn't have a policy. The reality is that the Chinese government at the moment doesn't have a policy to contain that COVID pandemic, that new wave of COVID pandemic. Their vaccine apparently doesn't work and they have no other solution than letting people go and telling them to stay at home. So they are heading to voluntary confinement and before the Chinese New Year, there are a lot of doubt that <coughs> it will work, especially after two years of strict uh, lockdown. So I believe that it's a political problem for China and when it comes to European countries or even Asian countries around China, to me, asking test at the entrance, at the border, is quite logical and normal. I mean, let's let, let be reminded that before to enter China, you needed a quarantine of two or three weeks. So asking Chinese visitor a test, to me, sounds quite normal. And yes, people behave in Europe like there's no risk anymore.
1: Well, I mean, the key word is vaccination, And Xi Jinping, you know, could really put himself out of that political misery by just, you know, admit that the uh, uh, that the Chinese vaccine is not efficient, uh, not as efficient as it should be, and actually the European Union. Uh, offered uh, millions of vaccines to the Chinese government, so um, that's the only way to to uh, to resolve the the problem. We could also in Europe, you you know, we are asking for tests. We should ask for a proof of an efficient True. Uh, True. vaccine because a lot of you know, the, the Chinese bourgeoisie goes on, and, and travel to some places where they uh-huh. can get but the a ban, Pfizer.
3: A ban on visitors uh, having only the Chinese vaccine would be to me. Well, there's o- there's only one real question I have and perhaps any of our
4: people who are watching us in China over VPN can answer it. You know, does President did, did President Xi and his cronies, did they get the Moderna vaccine or the Pfizer vaccine? Mm-hmm. Because or the Chinese vaccine. I'm damn sure they didn't get the uh, You or know, the
1: Russian vaccine.
4: I'm sure they didn't get that either. I know the sinovax that was sent to Turkey and they gave to people at hospitals there, they were bringing in Moderna and Pfizer privately to, to give their people. So I'd like to know what vaccine old President Xi has because, you know, I'm sure he's either got Moderna or Pfizer... And I I think that's a legitimate question that should be asked at the next foreign ministry press conference. Catherine, I can't ask you about that, but what I can ask you is about
0: uh, what France is doing, testing as Chinese people arrive. Is it a fair thing to do?
2: Well, we've had years of testing, years of travel restrictions. Mm. If there's a massive outbreak in China, which, by the way, we don't know how many cases there actually are because there's of the no things, reliable that, yeah, data. Yeah. I think yeah. it's perfectly reasonable mm. to require tests from a country where there's concerns about um, uh, this is just going to get worse, obviously, before it gets better. It mm. is the the Lunar New Year coming up and millions of migrant workers are going to be travelling back to rural mm. areas um, on packed trains and buses. This is going to be spreading to huge extents, which we, we don't even know about now. China, this is its first national outbreak, and I think it's just, just really huge.
0: Catherine, thank you very much indeed. Catherine Ross Trent, our senior correspondent. Thank you for being with us. Thank you to Agnes Poirier, correspondent for the Express in London. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks to Richard Verley from Blick website. France-Europe correspondent. Great to see you, sir. And thanks as ever to Craig Kapitas of the Daily Beast. Great to see you, sir. Thanks to you You all. will
4: walk alone, sure.
0: <laughs> Let's end on a football note. Pele was laid to rest this week. The king of world football passed away on December the 29th. It was my dad's birthday, actually. He'd been in palliative care for cancer. His family say it was COVID that actually claimed his life. Hmm. What a life it was. From childhood poverty to the world soccer heights. He signed for Santos FC age 15, went straight into the first team. At 17, he won the first of three World Cups for Brazil. The only player to ever achieve... That. Pelé transcended the beautiful game, as he called it. His name, a legend, will live on worldwide. Pelé, then known simply in Brazil as the King, will leave you with these images of people mourning his loss and celebrating his legend. Thanks for watching The World this week.